Welcome to the latest in the Boba News podcast series. I'm Kim Bremer and I'll be your host today. And on today's podcast, we are honored to have an owner of one of the influential producers in the beef industry, Lee Leachman, CEO of Leachman Cattle of Colorado near Fort Collins. Lee graduated from Harvard University with an honors BA in economics in 1988. Lee also completed graduate level work in animal breeding at Colorado State University. After college, Lee joined his father, Jim, and brother, Seth, at Leachman Cattle Company in Billings, Montana. Together, the family built the company into the largest beef seed stock company in North America. Lee then moved to Colorado in 2003 and formed Leachman Cattle of Colorado. The company immediately began large-scale collection of feed intake and conversion data in 2004. Leachman Cattle of Colorado now markets Angus, Red Angus, Stabilizer, and Charlotte Bulls produced from a pool of 12,000 females in over 45 cooperator herds. Selection objectives are largely based on the company's proprietary indexes, and in addition to marketing seed stock, the company also has a semen marketing division, a custom semen collection division, Rocky Mountain Sire Services, and a data services department, ProfitShare, that provides EPD and index calculation to other seed stock and commercial producers. Lee's been active in the industry through groups including the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, various breed associations, and the Beef Improvement Federation, where he's a past president. He also serves on the board of directors for the Beef Improvement Company in York, UK. So welcome to the podcast today, Lee. Great to be here, Kim. Thanks for having me on. Can you start out first of all and give us a brief history of your operation? You bet. Uh, Well, you know, we had a family business. My family's actually been in the business since the 1930s. Originally, my grandfather uh, operated Ankeny Angus in upstate New York. Uh, We sold that company and my father moved to Montana in 1971. I was a mere five years old, so I can't tell you I remember much about that move, but uh, we uh, built that business up and uh, then that sold in 2003 and we started Leachman Cattle of Colorado. Our business is uh, really focused on uh, primarily ranchers here in the high plains, but we do market bulls from coast to coast. We have a sale last Saturday in uh, North Carolina, uh, right actually actually on the side of Virginia. And then uh, we have a sales in California. So we sell coast to coast and our primary customer is a uh, profit-minded, um, pretty serious uh, data-driven commercial producer who's really worried about uh, making the cows the best he can make them while still having calves that are pretty marketable. And uh, that's a fine line in the industry today. It's hard to balance those maternal cow traits with the terminal traits. And so I think we try to do that um, better than most. And that's what endears us to our customers. So I have to ask, Lee, how did you decide to go to Harvard? And how does a guy with an honors degree in economics from Harvard end up on a ranch in Montana? Well, it's a family thing, you know, third generation. So, you know, it's, I told my son I could, I could keep him in the business, but that would be a form of child abuse. So um, <laughs> he, uh, he's actually uh, going to be an, an accountant. He just went to work for Deloitte. But yeah, no, I was in Montana and uh, I was obviously a good student. And I thought, you know, if you're going to go off to college, you might as well go somewhere that's really different. And different for me was an urban setting. And uh, Harvard's uh, in a, a suburb of Boston. It's very urban. And so I thought, that's, this is really different, and uh, I'm going to be challenged, and so I'll, I'll go here and, and study a lot. I, you know, I think in hindsight, there were pluses and minuses to every experience. So the pluses were that it was academically challenging. Uh, the minuses were that, uh, you know, most of my friends are on one coast to the other and don't happen to be in the cattle industry or in the center part of the country. So there were, there were pluses and minuses. <laughs> 
Well, you're probably one of the more innovative cattlemen when it comes to data collection and then how you use that data to influence your genetic selection. Can you walk us through how you got started with that effort? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We've, we've always been kind of pro-EPD and pro-measurement. I think that started with my grandfather and, and my dad picked up on that. And, and he, uh, he always used to tell me, he said, you know, he said, he said if, you, if you have bad data or no data, the first person you fool is yourself and you'll make bad breeding decisions. So you should try to always have the best data and measure the traits that matter the most. And so we've tried to do that. Um, you know, more recently, um, I, I was uh, partners with Dallas Horton in the early 2000s and, and he left uh, impact on our business. He told me, he said, one day he said, you know, I wanna, I wanna buy some bulls from the company. I said, which ones? And he said, I wanna buy the ones that make the most money. And I said, wow, Dallas, that's, I can tell you which ones marble more or which ones grow faster or which ones make bigger or smaller cows. But it's kind of hard to put all that together into the makes more money um, decision. And he said, well, he said, I think if we're going to do a good job, you really need to figure out how to do that. So uh, so we started that. That was in about 2003. And that started us on what's uh, coming on a 20 year odyssey down the line of uh, of uh, selection indexes that measure profitability during the various stages. We, we do three indexes. We do one for the cow-calf portion that basically optimizes the profitability of a cow-calf operation. Then we have one from weaning to harvest. And then we have the dollar profit number that's our overall number from birth to harvest. And so, so we, we measure all the traits in between. Um, we're, we're always adding traits. Uh, we work now with Zoetis very closely. Zoetis performs a, a, a single step blup analysis for us on a weekly basis. So we upload all our data, they analyze it and uh, send us back EPD results on 20 some traits and about six indexes. And uh, there's a pipeline and, and we're developing new traits all the time. I think we're, we'll come out with somewhere between six and, and 10 EPDs in the next 12 months that are new and a couple of new indexes. And it's, uh, it just continues to sort of fine tune our efforts into really determining what the, the most profitable cattle are. So it's pretty exciting. That is exciting. Uh, what's the Inherit product that you helped develop? Yeah, so Inherit's a product developed by, um, by Zoetis. And that product is a product that's offered to commercial cow-calf producers to help them select their replacement heifers better. And if you think about it, mostly in our industry, we've had great EPDs on the seed stock cattle for a long time. And really the commercial guy was kind of left out of that party. They didn't have that kind of information on their individual animals because they didn't want to collect a bunch of data. So then, then we walk in with DNA now and we give them predictions on, on a lot of traits. I mean, some of the really interesting traits, we've got a lifetime cow predicted fertility trait that comes with that. We've got a a Zoetis cow-calf index that predicts profitability in the cow-calf and then our dollar ranch. We've got our dollar profit. We've got marbling and ribeye and cow size and milk and calving ease and growth and all these different traits. Um, and for, you know, uh, in, in our system, that test is available. You, you buy it for about $33 and we give you a $10 rebate. So it's $23 ahead. And it's uh, the most valuable tool we've ever seen to select replacement heifers. And we're seeing a lot of commercial cow-calf producers start testing and, and, and discovering that in, within their herd of females, they were going to possibly choose as replacements. There are some exceptional ones that didn't maybe appear visually exceptional. And then there are some ones that look pretty good, but the DNA says they're not good. And so we're helping people make less mistakes in picking those replacement heifers. 
And I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, I think that's kind of the future of beef cattle production because the guys that are testing are going to improve their herds much faster than the people that are not testing. And uh, it's, it's surprising. Even our best customers that buy our best bulls, when we go in and test, the bottom of their heifers are heifers you don't want to keep. <laughs> and uh, now they can, they can identify those. So, Well, and a little bit along those lines, Lee, what do you think the most profitable animal looks like in the future? Yeah, great question. So, you know, obviously uh, we're in a time period where marbling, has uh, proven to be a really important trait. And uh, certainly that's favored the Angus breed. Um, their, their CAB product's a tremendous product and the highest marbling cattle in the industry other than Wagyu's would be Angus. Um, but I think going forward, we're gonna be looking at a couple of other drivers. Um, one of the important drivers is gonna be lifetime efficiency. You know, we're getting critiqued for the carbon footprint of cattle and uh, what we need to do is uh, try to improve it. And it turns out that we can. And it turns out that that, that that improvement really comes down to kind of lifetime efficiency. So we've got to get a, a more modest sized cow who's more fertile and produces a higher calf crop percentage and stays in the herd longer. And then that calf needs to go in the feedlot and be efficient and reach the right carcass weight and have some cutability, some yield. And so I think, um, I think as we look, say over the last 10 years, looking back, it's been all about growth rate and marbling, but I think the next 10 years are gonna be more about fertility and efficiency and cutability. And that's gonna favor some different kinds of cattle. And uh, so we're, we're trying to measure these traits as in, in large volume so we get accurate predictions on these harder to quantify traits so we can select these animals. And the first results are pretty cool. We did a, uh, a carbon footprint analysis on our uh, cattle that we have in the UK, the stabilizer breed over there. And they came in with a 40% smaller carbon footprint over the average UK cow-calf operation. And that's raised some eyebrows. That was done third party by Alltech. And uh, people are pretty excited about that. But what we're doing is you, you, it's, 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 it's kind of like a small ball in baseball that we're not hitting. We're not hitting grand slams. It's just a series of singles. Right. You do all these traits well and the cumulative effect is significant. And so we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's fascinating. How can we measure lifetime efficiency across many di different production environments? How do you do that? Well, I think, you know, there's going to be some standards and, 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 and those standards are going to kind of relate to how much does an animal eat per day and how many days does it take to get to harvest? Um, what kind of calf crop percentage do we produce? You know, that's a place I think that we're overall, we have a lot of opportunity for improvement in, in calf crop percentage and fertility rates. Um, our selection really for, for carcass and growth is probably hurt a lot of those fertility traits. And we see a lot of ranchers talking about that now, about uh, struggling with the amount of feed they have to provide cattle to keep them in production. And so, you know, if, if we, if we kind of thought of it this way, it, it, the output of, of carbon really is correlated to how much total feed gets consumed to make that harvest animal. So we've got to count all the feed that the, the cow ate and all the feed that the, the females ate that never produced a calf and then all the feed that the calf ate to get to harvest, and then look at how much edible yield we have off that animal in terms of pounds of beef that we can eat and divide that uh, carbon production into that 
productivity. And so we're going to end up with some pretty neat new measurements that are a lot different from, from really the, the selection objectives that most breeders have today. Um, and so I, I see that as kind of a big paradigm shift that's coming down the road. Mm. Interesting. So switching gears a little bit, you were selected to receive the Continuing Service Award from the Beef Improvement Federation this year. What does that mean to you to receive this award? Well, I, I told my wife when I went on the board at BIF, I said, this is the board that I think is the most fun in the cattle industry for me, because it's all about how, how to improve beef cattle through genetics. And it's sort of the nexus of, of the scientists, the researchers, and the breed associations and the breeders. And then, and then we even get some, some cow-calf producers that come, commercial guys. And so this group comes together. And uh, I, I served on the board for several years. It was actually my second stint. I served on the board once way back in time. Um, and uh, my father was president of the board of the BIF for a while back, back in the day. And so it was kind of fun to follow in his steps. And for me, you know, it's, it's a way to give back, right? You get on there and you share your ideas and, and talk about uh, what we can do to try to improve beef cattle. And, uh, and, and it's, a great, it's a great environment for exchange of ideas. Um, and so I, I love that. I love um, educating. I love contributing to the uh, body of thought that shapes kind of how we improve cattle. And I hope that in some small way that, that helps other ranchers stay in business and, and really leave a legacy to, to their kids um, in terms of a better cow herd and a better managed ranch. In the video for the BIF award, the narrator mentioned that you'd made some mistakes in your career, but you've overcome them. How did you do that? How has that affected your business and your outlook today? Yeah, well, I, I make mistakes every day, Kim. I don't know if you can relate to that, but <laughs> I'm just trying to make fewer. But, you know, I think when you do make mistakes, you try to learn from it. And we, um, we, we got into a branded beef program back in the late 90s and uh, actually broke the company in Billings. And so that was a really hard experience. Um, but, you know, you come through that and, and I think learn some things you need to do better and differently. And uh, part of that is, uh, is how you plan your business. Part of that is how you're capitalized. Um, and part of that is just sort of being humble in what you know and, and, and realistic in what you don't know. We, we got into that beef business and there were a lot of things we didn't know how to do and, and, and that caught up with us. So we've, we've tried to really carefully now identify what we're good at and try to do those things well and stay away from the things that we're not good at because that catches up with us. So yeah, that, that, that was really um, super valuable and, uh, and, and I learned a lot from it. I said it was, it was more expensive than Harvard, um, but I learned more from it than Harvard. So there you go. <laughs> Right. I can about imagine. Uh, well, if there's anything I do know, it is that farmers and ranchers in the United States, their success is always built on this continual improvements over time. You, you epitomize that. Uh, looking now at the broader industry, what do you see as the biggest challenges cattlemen are going to face in the not too distant future? And how are you adapting to accommodate those challenges? You know, I mean, those of us that work on the land and work with animals, I think we find it shocking that anybody would question um, whether that's a good thing, because um, clearly we're we're caring for huge landscapes and we're caring for animals and we're doing it at a very high level of care and husbandry and, and stewardship. Um, but the reality is that the, 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 the general population is so disconnected from what we do on the ranch or the farm and they have mis 
misconceived ideas and, and obviously, um, you know, this whole issue of climate change um, has, uh, has, has occupied a significant portion of space in the public debate. And, uh, and I think because methane is a, is a contributor to greenhouse gases, um, cattle are being critiqued for that. And so our, our entire kind of, I call it our social license to operate is being questioned. Um, you know, we had some crazy laws that came on to the, that, that were, were maybe going to come on to the voting rolls here in Colorado. And fortunately, they were overturned on a kind of a technicality. But I think society's questioning the, the work we do. And so, you know, communicating what we do is important. Um, and, uh, and really doing the best we can to steward what we have is really important. And so it's going to take both of those. And I, I think we have, we have great organizations like National Cattlemen's Beef Association that, that represent us as an industry, and that's super important. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're investing in, in how to communicate the message as to what we're doing about carbon footprint. I mean, here in the U.S., you know, we've got the most efficient beef production system in the world because our animals reach heavy market weights at a young age. And we have relative to global production, we have way more um, efficiency reproductively. And we've got more information and data to track all that. And so um, we, I think we have a great story to tell, but I, I think we can also do much better. I mean, like we, uh, we implemented an intensive rotational grazing system. I guess we call it adaptive grazing system, not, not rotational, but um, on, a, on about a 13,000 acre property that we utilize to run our cows during the summer. And, uh, you know, we're, we're shaping the, the plant diversity and we're impacting the soil health and the ability of that soil to, to sequester water and carbon. And, you know, I think there's just a lot of things we can do. And in some cases, ranchers are doing really good things, like the best thing they could do, but we're not able to tell the story about it. And so I think as ranchers to, to kind of keep our social license, we're going to have to keep track of this stuff and show people what we're doing. I, I tell people that, you know, the standard for our feedlot and our operation is that we have to be able to bring the consumer into that production system without having to make excuses. So they look at what we're doing and they say, you know, this, you're doing right by these animals. You're doing right by this land. You're doing right by the water that comes out of your facilities and off of your, your rangelands. And, uh, you know, I think as we do that, and I think we can do that and we do that well, um, it, it's really going to strengthen our tie to the consumers. And I, I think they'll come to, uh, to see us once again, I think, in the light that we probably had for many decades, um, for most of the history of cattle production. But just recently, I think, as, as our society has become more urbanized and, and the specter of, of climate change has, has risen its head, it's, it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, certainly growing population exasperates that. We live here in Colorado on, on the edge of the uh, um, eastern side of the Rockies, but the, the western side of the Rockies is the uh, Colorado River drainage that waters a substantial portion of the western United States, and there's increasing demands on that water, and we have to participate in that process and, and communicate and, and uh, find outcomes that are win-wins for everybody, and so um, I, I think it's a, it's a challenging time, but I think that uh, I think there's a generation of young farmers and ranchers who are up to the challenge of uh, living in this, in this highly social environment that we live electronically and communicating with the, the populations that don't live on the, prop, on the land. And so, so there's, there's a lot before us, but a lot of opportunities too. So it's exciting. 
And what does the future hold for Leachman Cattle? What are you most excited about? Well, we're doing some fun things right now. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the thing that I'm most excited about today is the ability to use DNA to help my commercial producers make better decisions. I think as we look down the road, um, we're developing genetics for, um, for use in dairies to make beef on dairy crosses. And we're really excited about the results we're seeing in that area. And, uh, and then we're, we're kind of doing a high tech play at this point. We've got a, a, a joint venture with a gene editing company and we're developing genetics that'll go into the tropics. And so we're excited about that too. So I'm, I'm more excited today. We, we have better tools today to make genetic improvement than we've ever had. And uh, that that's kind of my wheelhouse and that's what gets me up in the morning. And uh, I'm pretty excited about what the next 10 years are gonna, are gonna show in that. And, and I think our company is gonna continue to try to push the envelope on the quality of the genetics and the levels of service that we can provide to our customers. Where can people go to learn more about Leachman Cattle and keep up to date on everything you're doing? Yeah, to our website, leachman.com. Uh, it's www.leachman.com, and we post up there quite regularly, and uh, we're working. We haven't done podcasts very much, Kim, but we're, we're probably going to do a video series to kind of help communicate with people. We think uh, there's a lot to be communicated. It's an it's a, it's a educationally rich message that we try to get out to our customers, and so we sure appreciate opportunities like this to help share the word and encourage people. Well, I look forward to following that along, Lee, and seeing what you do, because your passion and enthusiasm for beef industry is certainly contagious. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for having me on. Well, this wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com. For more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars, uh, this has been your host, Kim Bremer, and from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.